You're listening to Simmering Thoughts, where we lift the lid and sample slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. That's right, this is Simmering Thoughts, and I am Ryan Akers, your host. Unfortunately, I am flying solo today. My co-host, Chris, uh, is sick today. He came down with a cold and his voice was starting to disappear. Uh, however, I'm not entirely solo and I will explain that in just a moment. Uh, first, I want to let you know how to get a hold of us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Simmer Thoughts. We also have a Facebook page under Simmering Thoughts and you can find us on the web at simmeringthoughts.podbean. Dot com. That website address is subject to change here in the next few weeks, so pay attention for that. Uh, you can also stream us through iTunes, Google Play, Satchel Player, and as far as I know, some other catchers out there have us, but I haven't been able to verify that just yet. So be keeping a lookout. If you have some suggestions, feel free to let us know through our social media links. We do have email at simmeringthoughts at gmail.com. And we'll also gladly take emails there. You can find me on Twitter personally at Bandman Acres, and you can find Chris at Dean Chris. Last week we talked about when not to speak as Christians. This week we have a slightly different topic. As I was uh, going about my normal Saturday. Uh, trying to watch soccer on TV. There wasn't any this week, so I had a little bit of extra time to just sit and think. And I posted something on Twitter, uh, something I've thought about many times over the years. This is not new. As I said, this is simmering thoughts, not microwave thoughts. So this isn't something that's brand new to my mind. It's not something I'm new to, to speaking about or thinking about. And that was simply the question, what does it take to be a man? One of the uh, groups that I grew up uh, really enjoying, not because it's my generation, but my, because it was my, one of my dad's favorite groups, was the group Boston. And they had a song called, What Does It Take to Be a Man? And the liner notes to that have stuck in my mind. I don't even have to go look them up anymore. They stuck in my mind from when I was a teenager. And it simply says, it takes more than the right brand of cigarettes and the right t-shirt to make a man. That's all they left it at. Now, the words of the song aren't exactly... Uh, in parallel with Scripture. There's a different uh, twist that they take it there, but the question is what's stuck in my mind. And it's something that uh, I think is really important. I think it's something that uh, as a teacher, as I watch young men grow up and as I watch our society, I think there are so many different definitions of what it is to be a man and, and so many different ways to look at it. I think we sometimes get a little confused and I think sometimes we cross our definitions. What does a man look like in one place versus another. And that's something we're going to talk about today. Uh, one of the first responses that came back, I thought, was a very good response. And it came from Andrew Wigan. And he said, Best I've figured, anything another man tells you is off. Ask your wife. Your head will explode at the difference. And I thought that was a wonderful answer. So what we're going to do today, we're not going to ask my wife, but we are going to ask two women. And so we have joining us today Abby Perry and Joy Beth Smith. Uh, both of these are folks that I interact with on Twitter every once in a while. Uh, Abby, I have interacted with a whole lot more uh, just because I've, I've 
ran into her earlier, uh, and we've had several opportunities to talk, uh, and I very much enjoyed that. So, Abby, if you could, first of all, uh, introduce yourself briefly, and then maybe a couple of thoughts on our topic just to start. Sure. Um, yeah, like Ryan said, my name's Abby Perry, and I live in College Station, Texas, which is Houston-ish area, a little bit northwest, and um, I'm married to Jared. We've been married for a little over nine years, and we have two little boys. Um, Owen is five, and Gabriel is almost three. And, uh, yeah, I'm a communications coordinator for a nonprofit organization and uh, write some online. And, um, obviously, because I have two little boys, the concept of what it is to be a man is something that I think about often. And I'll just say, and I think we'll get into this a lot more because our Twitter conversation went this direction. Um, as much as I think about my boys becoming men, I'm mostly, at, especially in this phase, think about what it is um, for them to be people who love the Lord and what it is to just disciple them as people. And so I think there are gendered nuances to that, but that maybe sometimes we um, overthink the the gendered part before thinking about what it is just is to be um, a person. So it'll be interesting to to talk about those qualities with each other. Absolutely. That's definitely one of the things we got to in the Twitter conversation. Uh, even some extra folks chimed in on that. Joy Beth, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Joy Beth Smith. I live in the Chicagoland area of Illinois, and I'm an editor and a writer. Uh, I have a book coming out with Thomas Nelson in February called Party of One, and it's actually on singleness and um, female sexuality. So it deals a lot with like biblical womanhood, if that is even a thing that exists. Um, and the fact that I don't know if it exists or what that means is indicative of how complicated this conversation is. So when you were talking about um, the idea of masculinity, and I was like, I have a lot to say on this uh, <laughs> because I kind of feel like I'm on the opposite side of the conversation where I talk, I, I've talked to a lot of women about how complicated um, especially single women, about how complicated the idea of biblical womanhood is uh, mm. for single women because biblical womanhood is tied up um, almost exclusively in the roles that we play as wives and mothers. And so biblical womanhood analyzed apart from that is very complicated. Um, so looking at biblical masculinity is super fascinating. Um, and so I got to ramble a lot at you on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and it was really fun. Yes, it was. I Really enjoyed the uh, the conversation we had, and I think those are all really good points. Uh, you know, growing up, I both of my parents uh, grew up in believing families, and of course, I grew up in a believing family. Uh, my dad was a minister of music at at our church, and uh, my mom is very involved in uh, in music ministry and also in how music deals with how how music messes with your mind and can. Uh, easily be something that can drive you and and, and not really drive you, but can steer you uh, and and distract you and tempt you away from the path that we're supposed to walk. And so that's something that that uh, through that we always were talking about manhood and what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a man and what it is to be human and what it is to be faithful. And I think that was one of the early things. Uh, that somebody pointed it out, and I don't remember exactly who it was, 
Uh, but but the point came quickly. Is it are, what kind of man are we talking about? A secular man? Are you talking? What does it take to be a man at a job? What does it take to be a godly man? Uh, one of the texts I've been reading recently is Thomas Watkins. Uh, Thomas Watson's how to speak clearly uh, picture of a godly man, and uh, you know that's been something I've been slowly trying to work through. I can't even get a chapter done in a day, uh, just because I don't have that that particular time when I'm reading it isn't very long, and uh, just reading through that and and noticing that the things that he's mentioning are not really about men. It's just about what's the picture of a godly believer, uh, a godly person. And that was one of the things that I found fascinating in our discussion was, was finding where those lines are. What is it that's, that's masculine? I, I hear so often uh, you know, things that I'm just not interested in as definitional manhood. Uh, you know, I, I live in deer hunting territory in southern Indiana. I'm from Santa Claus, Indiana. And, you know, as a marching band director a few years ago, we would have students come to rehearsal on the first Saturday of deer season, and they had already been out hunting before it was even time to rehearse at 8 o'clock in the morning. And so, you know, that was normal around here. And uh, that's not something I'm interested in. I grew up in the suburbs. It's not something that I grew up with. My dad's family grew up with it, but it's not something I identify with at all. It's not something I've, I've been out. I've been around guns. I just don't prefer using them. I would rather sit down with a book. It's how I, how my personality expresses itself. But does that make me less capable as a, as a male or as a father? I think it's, it's a lot of times we allow what culture thinks and what the secular world thinks of a man to define what a godly man should look like. And it's something that um, I was hoping to have an interaction like this to where we could get to some of those questions. Uh, As it happens, my wife drives an hour to get to work. She's a a commuter, and I drive about seven miles. Uh, And so my son goes to school, the same place I teach, and we have 30 minutes in the morning and an hour and a half in the afternoon that's just the two of us. So I'm, in, in a lot of ways, a primary caregiver, and that's not a traditional male role, but it's something that I find uh, refreshing and fun and really important to teaching him what it means to be uh, male and what it means to be uh, a godly man. And we have opportunity in those times to do that. I need to take a breath for a moment. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> let me, uh, let me, kind of steer this back in a, in a different direction. Uh, you know, we, we're looking at uh, manhood and womanhood, and, and this is something we've been talking about, and I've kind of kibitzed and, and watched some of the conversations that have happening in uh, your Twitter circles about what it is to be a woman, and, and these the conversations look very similar. Uh, in an awful lot of ways, in that that there is that cultural stamp of what is manhood or what is womanhood, uh, and it often revolves around family, uh, and that that idea of is it possible to be a, a a man and be single? Is it possible to be a woman and be single? What does that look like as a successful venture? I actually had that conversation with someone. Um, Almost a almost an idea of what does it mean to be a parent or what does it mean to be a married person, 
uh, and the expectations that, that we put on that from society's standpoint. Uh, Joy Beth, I think this was a, an area that you were kind of running with a little bit more. Uh, so if you want to start and then we can chase it from there. Yeah, I, I was actually just thinking kind of along the lines of what you were saying. You were trying to tease out the the differences maybe between the secular and the biblical definitions of, of masculinity or, or even, you know, obviously that exists between femininity as well. But I it's sort of it's it's interesting because I feel like there I, I feel like we could always like find point and counterpoint between no matter what we do. Like is that is that a secular definition of femininity or is that a biblical definition of femininity? Is that a you know secular definition of this or a biblical, you know, like I feel like we could always kind of create these binaries. Um, but I almost liked what Abby was saying before of like, as opposed to finding and creating these count point and counterpoint arguments across the board, like starting at a base level of personhood and building up um, and then teasing out the nuances as you go. I think that that's almost like, increasingly more helpful because uh and and i found this when whenever discussing anything about singleness you know like married people like <laughs> you married people like you think <laughs> that you're so different from us single people um and and of course our lives look dramatically different but at the core of us like we're actually all like much more similar than we like to think that we are, you know? Um, and so actually like building a, a firm definition of like what is personhood and, and what, what does that look like? You know, and it's a desire to be loved and it's a, you know, like a, a brokenness and a depravity and it's a this and it's a that. And like maybe like establishing what those things are. And then, because I think that it would be foolish of us to say that there are no God given differences between the genders, you know, mm -hmm. I think that that like biologically, there are biological genders that exist. I think that that's fair to say. I think that there's also, you know, like it's fair to say that that comes with implications. Um, what those are as far as like how that looks. I think that culturally we have created a lot of gender distinctives that we have called biblical. Um, and even, you know, something like you were saying, like caregiving, like we have called that like a woman's role and that that's like a a woman's right and or a woman's right of passage even, you know, and that's that's a, something that we like to call it as like a biblical thing. Like women are called to this and it's like, well, I don't know that that's something that we can say, you know, so like maybe like looking at it, it's like, is that a cultural definition or is that a biblical definition? And so just like reducing it down to like, what's the common denominator that, denominator that we can find across the board of personhood and like valuing that in everybody. And then why is it so important for us to find these gender distinctives? Like what does it do for us mm -hmm. um, to, to tease them out as male and female? Um, and to find identity in that. I, I guess that is something that I'm kind of grappling with. Like, why is it so important for us to to cling to these things of like, this is masculine and this is me and this is feminine and this is me, mm. as opposed to like, this is what I like to do. Like, I like to read these books and I like to paint my nails because I am mm -hmm. who I am, not because I am a woman. Right. And that was something yeah. that in, in our back and forth the other day, uh, I mentioned uh, that it was a matter of priorities. 
and and it, that it seemed to catch your interest really quickly when I said that. And you quickly, what do you mean priorities? And you know, it's it's there's so many things that we have to juggle. And I think the question is, which ball do you catch first? And you know how a male is going to do that. Most it seems to me that there are there are focuses that we're taught, whether it's it's cultural, whether it's individual, that you know I see that ball that needs to get caught first. Then I'll catch the next one. Then I'll catch the next one. And I, I think trying to to figure out what you know and and which one's closer to the floor sometimes is is the determiner. But you know if all is going as it's supposed to be, what's the thing that I'm checking? the most often and then what's the next thing? yeah and I think I would challenge you on that because I would say that like our priorities are probably not actually that different innately and that we are culturally conditioned to value things uh, like our I would say that our priorities are probably affected by culture more than they are by innate like prioritization that I would not argue that for very long because it's that is part that that's a that's a spot where I haven't had a chance to really sit down and and deep dive and that's something you can't there's no way to just sit and think about that that's one that that requires a study and I haven't done that so I that's one I would hesitate to to stand very firmly on uh because it's it's something that I've perceived rather than anything else uh, and so I'm totally agreeing on that one that, you know, a lot of that is, uh, how you're trained to look at things. Uh, I think maybe it's, maybe it's not so much which ball to catch, but how we catch it or how we deal with it. Um, and again, that, that, that socialization part of it is such an important part. I think something that, uh, I want to say this is something that Hannah Anderson talks about, and I, I could be wrong on who I'm attributing this to, but she's. It's probably Hannah. She's so wise. Yeah. (laughs) Plenty of the wise things, I think, come from Hannah and are not (laughs) my own at all. But she talked, I have heard her say, you know, I uh, sort of on this topic of how quick we are to jump to maleness and femaleness rather than core personhood Mm -hmm. um, or personhood at all. She'll say things like, I have more in common with a human man than when I than I do with a female cat. But we so quickly which like sounds funny because of course that's true, but we don't talk like that's true a lot of the time. We talk like we're primarily identified by maleness or femaleness and I don't think and I think too this happens a lot right now in Christian circles for the understandable reason that we're responding to the fact that there is a lot of confusion and um, just different ways of thinking about gender than there have been in the past. And so I think the church, as it can sort of be prone to do, tries to react sort of in that binary way that Joy Beth was talking about before. You know, we say, no, 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 gender, you know, it matters, and there's male and female, and this is what that means. But we, I think we overshift and over obsess instead of like I think we talked about this in the Twitter conversation the other day but for example like the fruit of the spirit is not gendered and (laughs) it may it may have gendered manifestations it might but like my boys if they like if the Lord if they come to know the Lord like they are as called to gentleness as Mm -hmm. I am yes and I am as called to to 
um, to self-control or to anything that we would like say is more masculine or whatever um, as they are. And, and, I'm no, and I'm no less, uh, it's no less accessible to me because the Holy Spirit is the same. And so I think, again, like it could have gendered manifestations, but sort of what I hear Joy Beth getting at is why are, why are we rushing to that first when there's so much that tends to go undiscussed on the level of just personhood and what it is to like cultivate a life of love, to cultivate a life of gentleness, um, or to talk about, okay, well, Jesus was a single man, and that clearly didn't chip away at his manhood. So what does that mean? Or I just question the questions that we start with, uh, which I tend to do with everything. So that's not just about this conversation. But I uh, think that we sometimes mess up, by, or we don't frame the conversation in the best way when we feel like we have to just react to culture, mm-hmm. like we can redeem and we can, and we are um, empowered and equipped by the ultimate redeemer. So we don't have to accept the framing that we're seeing and just react to it. We can reframe. And I think maybe um, it provides a better uh, playing field for the conversation and probably turns out to be more like appealing um, to those who may not believe as well than if we're just sort of posturing ourselves as maybe reactive or uh, binary. I think what you just said is a huge part of this. And and this is where um, how my parents trained me. My Both of my parents are former band directors. They're both retired now. And so, you know, my mom was the proverbial woman in the man's field. I mean, at the time when she started being a band director, there were very few, especially in our particular region. And so I, I had a, um, a, a bringing up in seeing what that looked like, where she's has an identity in her profession that is supposedly a masculine profession, but in the way she goes about doing it, there's no question that that that's not what that profession is. That profession is teaching music, which is as ungendered as a thing uh, that I can think of. It's as, it's as natural as being human, uh, creating music in a variety of different ways. We all do it in, in our own unique ways. Uh, but also watching as they taught and, and even uh, worked with the staffs that they would hire for the different jobs they were in, you know, in marching season, there was a staff that would come in and how the level playing field of humanity uh, was so important. You know, we would just sit and talk and, you know, I was as welcome at the design table as anybody else. And I wasn't even old enough to be in the group, but I was welcome to sit at the table and throw ideas across. And, uh, you know, the somebody who wasn't even, you know, related to the design team might walk by and throw an idea in. And if it was an idea in the brainstorming process that, that, you know, somebody could take and, and turn back into a good, into a usable idea, uh, even if they didn't know how to do it, they could throw the idea out and we'd find a way to make it work. That idea of being, coming to the plate as humans and then working from there uh, is so important and I think it does kind of take away some of the things that were we, we almost build silos around male 
and a silo around female. And if you don't fit inside the silo, you, you don't fit. You're not welcome uh, with that group. And it's, it's a distinctive when, when, as Christians, if we do approach from, all right, you're a person, you have the image of God stamped on you from before you were born, and you are, you are growing into that. And, you know, especially as someone comes to faith, all right, now how does that change those silos? Now we can step outside that silo, and that makes us distinct from a lot of what's happening in culture where there's that constant push and pull. I think of the, the teenage movies that are so famous over the years. Every generation has their own uh, late high school, early college party movie, Animal House, the American Pie movies. When you think about those movies and the, the things they tell us about what it means to be and find your way as a young adult, uh, whichever gender you are, as you get into a young adulthood, that's what society's telling us you should look like through the through uh, media, and then and then you get married, and then you become everybody loves Raymond or whatever TV show you want to pull out or whatever movie, and there's these expectations, and to be able to sit down and and take the open the word and say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Do I see that in the models that are being put in front of me? No. Can I model those things? And in, in doing that, that's, that's being who I'm designed to be. And there's a, there are probably manifestations, male and female, how we do that. But at the same time, doing it in a way that is uh, uh, obvious to those who are just doing what they see in the movies and thinking that that's what, what being an adult is all about or being a human is all about. But I would caution us because I feel like as the, as, as the, uh, the Lone Ranger single voice here. Uh, so I'm, I'm 28, I'm turning 29 in November and I am, there is, while there are definitely like the secular voices that say this is femininity and this is, masculinity um, there are the contrary voices in the church that have like presented their own narrative of femininity masculinity it's not as if the secular voices are the only ones out well, there I, uh, yeah I totally agree I think a lot of times we allow those secular voices to give us the coloring that we now take into the church and we just like take theirs and we just change the lines just a little bit oh no than... I feel like we have I, I completely disagree. I feel like we have, like, if anything, it's almost like the inverse coloring, like, mm. like those negative strips from, like, mm. you get the picture and then you see the negative and you're like, oh, that doesn't look like that. It's, it's <laughs> like the, I mean, I grew up in fundamentalism, so I, I gotcha. have, like, a different take, I right. guess, but because it's like the when all of the color is drained out of life. <laughs> um, <laughs> the coloring but, before but, we got the crayon. <laughs> I'm sorry. The coloring book before we got the crayons out. Yes, yes, exactly. And it, um, but it, it does feel like you know, like society is telling you, you know, here's here's what femininity looks like. And then, you know, I go to church and it's like, oh no, actually, like it's not that you, um, you know, show your body parts. It's that you keep everything covered. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you touch boys and you flirt. It's that you are restrained. And it's not that you are bold and vivacious. It's that you're actually meek and mild. You know, and that is what 
biblical and godly femininity actually looks like. It was actually this like really contrarian representation. Um, and and what was even, I think, more poisonous than the secular point of view is that femininity was actually linked to godliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is something that I'm still kind of having to like root out of my head is that like the biblical representation of femininity was linked to a spirituality or a godliness that you could attain if you could only like manifest these characteristics of biblical femininity or if you saw a man that was a representation of this like wild at heart masculinity. Um, And I think that that is something that we have done such a great disservice in the church because so many of us, like, we just don't fit those molds, you know, like I will never be meek and mild and I will never be able to um, not be this like kind of in your face presence. And I, will always have my hair a mess and I'm never going to be this petite, blonde, precious thing that you present to your mom (laughs) and she's happy, you know? And so I, I, and there's so many guys who, when they read my wild at heart, they felt, um, spurned by the church and they felt so isolated and they felt like, if this is what biblical masculinity is, what am I, you know? And so I, I, I feel very sad that when we have presented these models, we also linked them with a type of godliness or spiritual growth, um, not just a, um, you know, gender identity, I guess. Yeah. I'm wondering if it, it's, I think sometimes, and I, I, this may be where I my just wasn't putting good words to my thinking, I think a lot of times, as you were saying, we're using the lines that, that society has given us and we're reacting to that. It, in, in a lot of ways, it, uh, and it, it's, there's, there's different flavors of what the expectations are, but uh, you know, we, we, we react sometimes to society rather than starting fresh and starting at that base level of, of hey, you're human first, right? Let's start there. Let's build that. Um, and what you know? What does it? What does it mean in that context to be a, a human adult living, whether you're married or single, whether you're uh, living in the city or the country, whether you're living in between, uh, whether you're in that stage of 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 moving from one life station into another life station, young or old. Uh, whether it's married or single, whether it's uh, going through not having kids to having kids, that you know we we don't see a connection between them, and it's almost like we expect a personality change sometimes when you go through those stages, um, and and it's something that I've I've I see it in families and in in students. Uh, and I see it in families in the church and also outside of the church sometimes where there's that that identity change as they're going through a change rather than, you know, having that core center idea of who I am before the Lord and who I am in community and allowing that then to be the core rather than the identity being I am a 40-year-old music teacher, married, I have a son, you know, it's not those things. It's I'm a believer. 
I'm a, I'm created by God first, and then we work from there. Um, and he, even you know, if we can if we can get to that starting point, which is really hard because there's so much society that kind of ruins that starting point. We don't get to have that fresh, clean start uh, quite as much. And I think that's something that uh, I guess those clean starts are something I'm somewhat familiar with. I moved three times through middle school and high school. Uh, including right before eighth grade and also right before my senior year and moved to places that were hours away where there was no contact between anybody and they didn't know who I was. And so I had that opportunity and I, I was aware enough because of some things that had happened previous and previously in my life, I'd, I'd had to, to face my humanity a little bit earlier than anybody really ought to. And uh, so I got that opportunity to say, you know, I'm a, in some ways I'm a right jerk in the way I deal with people and I need to do better than that. And it was an opportunity for me to come in without those expectations. I see in, you know, living in small town, everybody knows who you were when you were in second grade chases you and it chases you all the way into high school. It chases you, you know, what you were in high school, you know, so many people move back in the community or never really leave. That's who you get to be as an adult because that's who you were in high school. And there's not that opportunity to to work through who you are and become something new, even though you know it's kind of all a big jumble in some ways. Um, there's a lot to it, but having that center on where do you start, and then to grow from there. Yeah, I think that we. Uh forget sometimes as Christians how uh, I think especially for, for people who grew up in maybe more conservative Christian contexts or fundamentalism like Joy Beth was saying the emphasis was always on, essentially on what you don't do rather than on what you do and I think we've, we forget that I mean when you look at scripture like there is a lot to do that we're not always great at doing. And I don't mean do like to earn God's favor. I mean, we really are given a new culture when we become Christians and not in the sense that we are, you know, are, are uh, no longer in the world, but it is true that we're no longer of it. And so it, it should transform everything. It should transform how we think about who we are as, as human beings, like we're talking about. And it should also transform our friendships and our relationships and the way that we approach our work and the way that we pour ourselves out and the way that we serve and, and, um, and how we prioritize to sort of call back to earlier. And I think we underestimate how powerful it can be and how truly transforming asking ourselves those questions are and asking them in the context of community and asking scripture to help us answer those questions, asking God through prayer to help us answer those questions. Um, I, I really do just believe that there's sort of a fundamental heart and mind shift that we don't always see the power of when we're often, especially in more conservative circles, thinking of Christianity more as the parts of culture that we are abstaining from as opposed to the new culture we're acquiescing to and getting to be a part of. Um, and I, I just wonder sometimes if our imagination is a bit stunted when it comes to what it can look like uh, to be 
a citizen of the kingdom that we believe is coming um, as we wait for it. And maybe starting to orient our minds more that direction can fuel some imagination about personhood that then, like we're saying, will have some gendered manifestations. But I would definitely maintain that our uh, identity as kingdom people, that there's a lot to discuss that just isn't going discussed in in mainstream Christian culture right now um, that could be really transformative. And again, could maybe ease up some of our angst about uh, being a man and being a woman, as well as present a more beautiful picture to the world of, of who Jesus is and who his people are, and that we're not just the people who don't do the other stuff that the people in society do, but that there is something, you know, there's, there's a newness and a beauty to our culture too. Mm -hmm. There's so much in there that just, that you just said the idea of, of finding that identity in, in Christ and letting that guide the rest of it. You know, I think through uh, so much of what was written in the word and i you know you try to think through uh you know as, as you read through like james or as you read through most of what paul writes there is so little difference between and so little uh, recognition or even speaking about that there are more than one gender through the bulk of the writing there are little pockets where there's something there but you know when he's addressing the saints uh he's addressing the congregation and he's addressing, this is what we need to do. This is who you are. First of all, this is who you are. This is what Christ has done. As you grow into this, this new identity, these are the things that, that are going to start to take over in your mind. And these are the, these are the outgrowths of that. You're going to see love and joy and peace and patience. You're going to see uh, turning away from sin because it, the taste is gone. You're going to see turning away from sin because you want to, because you see what's happening. Uh, you know, there's not a, in so much of that, and you really even, as, as you think back into Proverbs uh, and the, the teachings that are there, uh, so much of that is is not really teaching that I, separates the genders. It's teaching of of how to more clearly think from a biblical, from a, from a, uh, the spirit's standpoint, from the, from the eyes of the Holy Spirit, how to, how to notice that that's what the world is teaching you. This is, this is the word of the spirit. As you read, it becomes, it, it, the spirit works in you and you start to see these things so much more clearly. And that's, uh, the conversations that I would have with my mom, especially, uh, as I was, as we were moving and, and driving from place to place, there were times where uh, for a year, you know, she would be spending a, a day away. And so dad and I just had individual time, just the two of us. And we would have conversations about, you know, how do you process this thing that's happening in society right now? And how do you be a human being about it? How do you, how do you, how do you treat someone not as what, they appear to be, but as a person, um, and and how do you get past, um, you know, it, and it's unfortunately there's some of the 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 colorblind, genderblind 
ideas that were in there, but but over time I've been able to process through and realize what he was really trying to say. We're each an individual, and we we need to recognize that and start with that and teach, or not really teach, but to, to think of someone as their own individual person. And each of those background parts are things that color who they are, that, that give shading to that. You know, where you're from is very important because it's a culture thing that you grew up in. You know, I grew up in a, in a, in a house that we spent more time listening to music that was 50 years old and older than we did anything that was less than five months old. Uh, I just never got, I, I never listened to whatever the popular radio is because we just didn't listen to it. And so a lot of those songs, I don't even know the songs of my generation. I know the songs of my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation. And because of my me being a music teacher, I can go back further than that. Uh, and that, that culture that I grew up in very much changes how I approach the world. But that doesn't mean I need to assume that my wife, who grew up in a very different place, is going to come from that same culture and background and, and listen to the world the same way I do. And that, that culture that she grew up in is so important. And it's more important than we often realize. And how that then plays out, you know, we come together as a community with all these different backgrounds. And that creates this just such beautiful depth. And, and it adds those shadings into the culture and into the community that allow us to have that that those those wonderful differences. You know, I think back to the old Arby's commercial, and a different is good, and our differences are good, and should be we should celebrate those differences because those are the things that that bring uniqueness and bring what's special. You know, you you walk outside and you see a sunset. If if the whole sky is the same color, we don't often call that a beautiful sunset. It's when there's the clouds there and the layers of colors and the the layers of of clouds versus the the background sky and and those that's where we find beauty is where things are there's differences. If all we do is look at a piece of white paper or we look at a piece of uh, a, you know a, a Manila envelope, not many people call that beautiful. And I, you know so often we try to make the gender rules a Manila envelope rather than allowing it to, to have that full picture of how do we function as, as in the things that we're doing in our lives. Um, you know, I, my life does not look anything like stereotypical 40-year-old male uh, in my neighborhood. It's just not, that's not who I am, and that's okay. I'm allowed to do that. Uh, and that doesn't mean I'm less of a man or less of a father, uh, because the things that, that, are the the core necessaries are still there and I'm still doing those things and those core necessaries often don't look a whole lot different between me and my wife you know the rules look very similar between what I do as a, a especially in the teaching uh, in the classroom you know whether I'm married or not it's not going it, to it doesn't change the the deliver the information it doesn't change the love that I need to have for the kids and the the care that I need to give the kids, uh, whether I'm married or not, shouldn't affect that. And so, okay, you you may not be married, you can be a fantastic teacher, and those experiences that you have can help teach your students and and it, 
be an example to your students how to grow up into being a fantastic adult. Yeah, I think that um, we, how you were talking earlier about sort of your conversations growing up with your parents is sort of applying, you know, scrutiny about what the world is telling us about gender roles and who a person is and um, making sure to see them as an individual and all that. As you were saying that, I was thinking about how um, we need to apply this that same scrutiny to what the Christian world is telling us about yes. who people are and what gender roles are, because I think we... Uh, and not in order to just be skeptics of everything all the time, because it's easy to, to just become that too. And, and that's definitely my tendency is to just sort of be cynical about everything. But like I was saying before, I think we do have the um, ability to have sort of a redemptive imagination about who people are and, and what roles are. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, my, um, just in terms of like personality types. My husband has a personality type that is more typically female and I have a personality type that's more typically male. And there are definitely manifestations of that. Often when we hang out with other couples, I more quickly like connect with the husband and he more quickly connects with the wife. Or actually Jared and Joy Beth met recently and within two <laughs> minutes we were laughing about how they process and communicate in incredibly similar ways. I mean, within two minutes of being in the car, I was like <laughs> giggling at their similarities. And and that could, like a lot of people may, because of how we have talked about gender in the church for so long, that could have caused either one of them or me insecurity. Like, well, does that mean that, that Joy Beth is too masculine or does that mean that Jared is too feminine or what's wrong with me that a woman, another woman and my husband are more able to, or like quickly connect or think about something the same way. No, like none of that is bad. Yes, That's exactly. not how we need to be thinking. And not only is it not bad, it's good. It's not even a neutral, like it's good <clears throat> that those things are not specifically gendered. It's good that God did not, um, decide even though we talk about this like he did that emotions are for women and intellect mm -hmm. is for men like that is just not the reality but we treat it like it is and we we let our kids grow up believing that it is and then you do end up in scenarios where women are are going what's wrong with me am i too masculine because i want to have the intellectual conversation mm -hmm. or men who feel weak because they're more prone to tears or whatever it may be and we just lose so much, I think, when that's sort of the obsession. With the teaching of complementarianism about, you know, uh, submission and, and how all that works out, you know, a lot of it, to me, as I watch, it, it's, it's two equals who are functioning together to accomplish a task. And in one area, I might be a little bit stronger. In one area, she might be a little bit stronger. And so we're supposed to complement each other, not me run the ship and her, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. That that to me sounds almost like she's supposed to supplement me, not complement me. And, and supplementarianism just doesn't work. That's not biblical at all. We're supposed to, to complement you know, you, you see all the stories or the, the, the teachings about how the church fits together and how we're built together and built up together. 
that's that's that same picture of complement where we're where one is a hand and another is an elbow we work together to accomplish the task and i think that's what's so interesting about the gender discussion though is that even without like as a single person i'm like i don't even have to make up my mind about all of that like i don't know if i'm a complementarian i don't know what i am I, right and it doesn't matter like i right. can have a robust, nuanced understanding of personhood and gender without even having to know or understand my view of marriage right. because it doesn't influence that. Like, like hopefully, and it should, like my view, it should be consistent. My view of personhood and gender should be consistent through my view of marriage. Like they should not contradict each other. It should be able to, one should run into the other. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, Lord willing, when I get married, <laughs> um, that should all like be cohesive. But I don't have to, uh, I don't have to come to that now because and I think this goes back to what we said at the very beginning, which is nice that this is coming full circle, which is that like when you build on the when you build on the foundation of personhood um, that sets you up to have this understanding of truth, you know, and it, it sets you up to have the understanding of Imago Dei and it sets you up to have the understanding of um, being able to see the intrinsic value in people and being able to see the intrinsic way that God made you and the intrinsic way that God made other people and, and the things that you have in common or the things that rather than the things that separate you and, and finding your identity in, you know, maybe I like this because of who I am. Maybe it's not attached to a gender or something that's culturally defined, you know, like being able to identify all of those things initially, um, and then being able to tease out the biblical nuances of gender and, and then being able to see how that grows into a marriage. I think that all of that is such a, a beautiful kind of coming of age thing that ha that can happen. Um, but it does kind of all sit on that understanding of personhood. And, um, and I, I just think that's so lovely. And, and Abby, what was that phrase that you used? Was it a, a redemptive imagination? Is that what you said? Yes. That is so lovely. And I, I think that that, is kind of a, a theme that I am going to take away from the conversation of uh, a redemptive imagination for the gender conversation. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's the only, only way that the church can really kind of come back around. You know, I, I think that what we were saying earlier of like, we can't keep being reactionary. I think that's really right. fair. I think that we've been reactionary for far too long. Um, I think that there's so much we're ignoring and then the only conversations we're having are reactionary. Um, and so a redemptive imagination is this complete re-envisioning re re of the conversation um, and just a, a reforecasting completely of what could be said and, and restarting at the bottom and just rebuilding from the ground up. So I think it's really lovely. I very much agree. I think that is a the the idea of of reimagining, uh, and and it's it's not easy because we we have all those cultural things that have been pounded into us over the years. Uh, it's not easy to separate um, from that and and almost pull back to see what's going on, uh, and it's hard to get a large group of people to do that. Um, without being in the same room it's really hard uh, i think that's actually one of the good things about twitter 
is that we're able to do that. I mean, there's there's conversations that that uh, that you all have been involved in that that you know I'm sitting back watching and and learning so much because it's a conversation I never with where I live I wouldn't be able to be in the room with those thinkers um, having that conversation in that way. It's not something that that my particular community. Uh, there are a lot of people that are having those conversations or thinking about those things because the the needs and the priorities here are different. Um, and, and there's a group of folks on Twitter and, and in social media where those conversations are happening. Uh, and, and that allows us to, to connect across and have that, that broader conversation. And I'm very thankful for that. You know, it's kind of fun to, to every once in a while be able to send you guys a private message that, Hey, I really like this conversation. I'm not, I don't want to get involved in the overall conversation because I'm a distraction to it. But thank you for being a part of it and for sharing it on on somewhere I can sit and be a part of listening and just learning from somebody who has a different view than me. Uh, that's such a blessing to me. And I want to thank you all for, for having those conversations uh, on Twitter and also being willing to come on here and talk about this. I know it's kind of, a, you know, it, it is an odd thing to have a conversation about what does it mean to be man or to be a man with two women and a man having the conversation. But I think that there's a lot of nuance that we were able to get to by not starting with uh, being specific about what culture, what what does the culture tell us a man is. I think by us dialing back, that, that has been a productive part of this conversation. I very much enjoyed it. I want to thank you both for coming on. Uh wanted to ask if you have anything extra you'd like to say before we before we call it a night. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's been a good, a good conversation. And I, uh, I would say that even though maybe it's non-traditional to have a man and two women talk about manhood, that, that maybe that is a very small first step toward having a more, uh, redemptive imagination about Mm -hmm. Christian personhood and, um, yeah, I'm hopeful that it maybe even just by shaking up that dynamic a little bit, that it gives uh, listeners the opportunity to sort of think more creatively um, than than we sometimes do. I, and I would say, too, I think that as far as um, chiming in with a final single perspective, uh, I think as far as as long as we cling to... Um, really traditional gender roles in the church, we will continue to see um, really stifled marriages and uh, declining marriage rates and um, really frustrated single people. Um, And so I think that for like the health of our singles and for the health of our marriages, we kind of have to start liberating um, ourselves in this way by like reevaluating our gender roles and by reevaluating what biblical masculinity and biblical femininity means. It's not just a matter of like theoretical consideration, you know, it's a matter of like practical and um, emotional and spiritual health for the church and for, um, for marriages and for daily life. So I think that it's something that's really important on a day-to-day level, as well as something that's really important for single people who are, who are feeling so um, stifled and suffocated by the gender roles that currently exist. So uh, I think that this is a great 
I, like Abby was saying, I think this is a great first step in that direction, or, or I guess a continued step, because lots of people have been making steps. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think is, that this is This is growing fun. off of conversations that have already happened. So, and, yeah. And even, yeah. The, even the conversation we had Saturday, was it was growing off of things that, that have been talked about. Uh, this right. is definitely, I, I don't think we're really breaking ground as much as just uh, recognizing ground. Yeah, continuing the good work. Mm -hmm. Agree. And and uh, this is definitely, uh, I don't want this to be an ending step uh, in the conversation, but to be something that is a, um, uh, a a starting point for some and a continuing point for others. Hopefully it, there are several folks that will listen to this and uh, this will uh, be a starting point for them to get engaged in these different ways to, to contemplate and to think uh, through what it means to be first a person and then to be uh, a man or a woman, uh, and especially in light of the gospel. And with that, uh, I do want to say thank you to both of you one more time uh, for coming on and uh, want to say to our listeners uh, that uh, we hope you interact uh, with the conversation either through Twitter or Facebook. Uh, we've mentioned several times that, that our guests, Abby and Joybeth, are on Twitter. So Abby, what is your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's Abby J. Perry, A-B-B-Y J. Perry. Okay, and Joy Beth? JB's Two Cents, so J-B-S-T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S. And I love that Twitter handle. <laughs> that, right. that is one of my favorite I do ones. too. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very clever way to approach that. Uh, so we hope you guys will interact with those conversations. This is This is just one aspect of what is really an ongoing conversation that I, I have found very fruitful to how I uh, see the world and, and really how, I, how I, it's actually informing how I read scripture uh, and, and see what life looks like when we can uh, start with who we are in God and then grow out from there. Uh, and it is something, it's a, it's a thought that's been simmering for some time. I know you two have been, and also for me, uh, and it's been very fruitful to, to look at it that way. And I pray that we will continue to have these conversations. Thank you all very much. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful week. And we will hope to see you next week. Bye.